Welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, I'm super excited. I have Zania Adams with me. She is a real estate investor and author and a wonderful financial education coach that is going to talk to us today about how she bought a house and lost it by 27, paid off 50000 in debt, and is now in a better position to teach other people about how to handle their finances. You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnay. told you about that time I took $40,000 out of life insurance and purchased three properties in one year. Yep, that really happened in 2016. And now the rest is history. I have a real estate portfolio of over $34 million and it includes apartments, rentals, and hotels. I want to teach you how to leverage life insurance to build your own real estate portfolio and so much more. Check out my new course, The Purpose of Money Maximizer, where I teach you the power of life insurance and why it's a guaranteed way to build generational wealth. I also teach you how to learn exactly how much insurance you need. And in this course, we talk about how to build enough cash in a life insurance policy so that you can use it to invest in real estate just like I did. If you're even just slightly curious about this, check out the course, The Purpose of Money Maximizer at thepurposeofmoneymaximizer.com. That's www.thepurposeofmoneymaximizer.com. Zania is the creator and founder of Perspectives, a personal finance education brand. Her financial obstacles and triumphs of her own inspired her to become a personal finance educator. After self-correcting her finances, paying her way through undergrad, and eliminating 50000 in debt to become a real estate investor, Nia uses her own story and experiences to help individuals change their relationship with money. And in her book, Life is Short by the House, The Ultimate Guide to Prepare for Home Ownership, Nia shares the story of how she bought her house and lost her home at the age of 27. The book helps individuals prepare their finances before becoming a homeowner so they don't make the same mistake she did. Nia is on a mission to transform women from struggling and stress to empowered about money and on the road to financial stability. Nia is born and raised in Chicago and is a speaker, certified financial education instructor, real estate investor, and an author. Hey, girl. How you doing? Good. How you doing? That is awesome. That is a mouthful of achievement. And I can't wait to dive into your story. But first, I want to take it back for a minute, if you let me. I want to know what was money like for you when you were growing up? So see, that's the thing. I can't tell you because it wasn't a conversation I ever had. It wasn't anything that was ever discussed. Like, you know, now reflecting, I can say that, oh, my mom, you know, I know she bust her butt. I know she did everything she could. Um, I am the third child of a single mother and my mom was 17 when she had me. So at 17, she had three children. Um, so she didn't have time to talk about money. 
<laughs> she was at work from sunup to sundown, which of course at that time I didn't understand that was to make money. Like, so I did not have one conversation about money. Um, my dad, you know, when he, what, cause originally he was in my life and he took me to the bank to open a bank account, you know, cause that's what you did. You took your child to the bank and we would go and we'd deposit the money, but I never understood like why, like, you know, what is a bank, you know, and I ended up, you know, when we, me and him lost touch, I forgot all about that account. And they ended up, when I became an adult, they just subtracted from it, you know, because they started charging a fee when they turned it into an adult account. And by the time I remembered about it, they had already closed it because they had subtracted all the funds from it. So it was like, wow. I just didn't have any. The, 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 I, there was nothing about money, honestly, when I was younger. Understood, understood. So what changed? How did you suddenly become aware of your finances? Uh, let's talk about that story. What was your aha moment? My first aha moment, honestly, is when I was 25. Um, I was working at the Postal Service, but, you know, I had my good, good government. So, you know, <laughs> you think because you working, you know, oh, I make good money. You know, I can buy a house and everybody's talking about, oh, you know, you should buy a house. You know, it's the American dream. And so I went to a loan officer to buy a house and he was like, yeah, no. No, <laughs> not today. <laughs> I didn't have any credit. I didn't have a budget. I didn't have any like money saved up. Like I didn't have a clue about any of that. Like I thought I was just going to walk, you know, because at that time you went into to talk to your loan officer. It wasn't like now where you could do so much virtually. You went to their office and sat at their desk and talked to them. And he's like, yes, no, you need this. You need this. You need this. And that was my first moment to say like, oh, well, what's, you know, what's credit? I had credit cards before, but I had them and I had used them up and had not paid them back because again, I didn't know anything about like the way that I needed credit, you know? So that was my first moment that was like, ooh. You think so you I just want to know, like, after that meeting, what did you do next? After I picked my face up off the ground and dusted my shoulders off and had to talk myself uh, off the ledge, <laughs> um, after that, you know, I said I took it as a challenge. You know, I'm a very ambitious and goal-oriented person, so I wanted my house. And uh, Mr. Loan Officer, you're not going to stop me from getting my house because uh, this house is mine. So I started getting books because, again, this was in 2008. Mm. So Obama just, you know, one president, I had to get books. I had to go get physical books because ebooks weren't popular. There was no YouTube university, no Google. So I had to go get books. And then I, you know, I would talk to some coworkers and they would recommend books. And I read and I had to follow the instructions in the book to improve my credit score and, you know, pay off judgments and get them released and all of that. And I went through that whole process to improve my credit score, started saving money so that I could have some money saved up um, so that I could go back to him like, look, see, I did it. Like, I did it. Like, I did what you said. I did what you said. So um, that's what I did. It's like I, I used it as a like a roadmap. You know, mm -hmm. essentially the tips and what he told me I needed, I used it as a roadmap to work towards. And how long did it take before you could buy a home? Is this? Two years? Years, yeah, two okay. years. So tell us what happened at 27. How did you buy and lose your home? <laughs> right, that's what that, that story is like. Man, they're like, well, but how? You just bought it. <laughs> so 
bought the house. I closed on my home October 28, 2010. So actually the anniversary of that. Just, you know, we just passed a few days ago. And I was supposed to make a post, but I forgot. Um, I started, got my house. I was, again, working for the Postal Service. And I live in Chicago. So we get snow, ice, cold, winter, all of that. And so on December 4th, I injured myself at work. I injured myself at work. You know how it'll snow today and then it'll get really cold. So that snow becomes ice and then it'll snow again on top of that. So you don't know that it's ice under it. So I slipped and messed up my ankle. Slipped and messed up my ankle. Um, I tried to work as long as I could because I couldn't afford to be without an income. So, because I had saved up enough money to purchase the house, but I didn't save money to have for after I had purchased the house. So here I am six weeks later, injured at work, trying to avoid being off work, and I just couldn't avoid it anymore. My ankle was going to give out. So I ended up having to be off work for probably about two years total, intermittently. So, because I had to go through physical therapy, I had boots, casts. I was going to one doctor, then I went to another doctor so they could actually do surgery. So I ended up having surgery. But, you know, that initial part when you first start workers' comp, it's not like you apply for it today and it comes tomorrow. You And it's the government. So it's not, it's not going super fast. Like, we do stuff slow. So that time, I had no money to pay my mortgage. I had just got this house. It's literally six weeks after and now I have no money to pay my mortgage. I have to wait. And I'm so embarrassed, um, you know, because I just stuck my chest out like, I got my house. Woo, woo, woo. I bought my house. So now I come back and tell people that now I can't pay this mortgage that I got this house. So it was a lot of me dealing with my own embarrassment and, you know, blaming myself and, you know, kicking yourself and all of that, that I didn't really tell a lot of people what I was going through. Like if you read my book, it says a lot of people going to find this out when they read this book. That's how I'll know that they really read it because it was just that the surrounded around that time that I didn't tell. So I silent, I silent, what do you say? Suffered in silence. Yeah. Suffered in silence. Mm-hmm. So that's how I lost the house at the same time because my mortgage got behind when my workers comp finally kicked in. The mortgage company was like, look, we want all or nothing. You know, once your house gets to that status, they're not accepting payments at that point. It's too late. You should have called them before that and made some type of arrangement or made them aware. But I didn't know. Wow. So you made a couple of good points there. So I want to kind of dive into those. I always tell my clients when we're doing the same process of determining how much house they can afford, that it's really important that you don't make yourself house rich and cash poor. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly and what it was. That's what happened, right? Mm-hmm. You saved enough money for a down payment, but mm-hmm. you didn't have enough money for emergencies. And I always tell people, homeownership's expensive. Even after you get the keys, you might have to fix something. You might have to get something. You know, especially if it wasn't a brand spanking new house, there's probably things that you wanted to add. There's probably things you wanted to do. In addition to life happens, emergency medical situations come up, and now you find yourself in this predicament where you did not have money to pay your new mortgage. So, and you didn't have the knowledge to know, I should tell my lenders, 
that I'm having an issue so they can work something out with me. Because another thing I like to tell people when it comes to creditors and lenders is it's just like your cousin. If you don't want to be chasing your cousin who owes you money, why you think they want to chase you? Right. So tell them up front, I don't have it, but this is my situation. What are my options? Like at least know what your options are and try to see if you can comply with any of them. Right. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is suffering in silence. It's so sad that sometimes we think this is the only way we can go about life because we're ashamed to tell people the truth and maybe they can help us. Or in some cases, you feel bad because you're like, they're struggling. So who am I to ask them to help me? But either way, I think we have to create safe spaces for real money conversations. I think that's the real issue. It's not a matter of what you think someone's capable or incapable of doing. Because I know some people who will tell you they they broke all day every day, but they got money in the bank. They just choose not to spend it because they don't want to spend it on certain things. But if you genuinely needed help and they could help you, they would, right? But you never know because we don't talk about it. We don't tell our friends and our family when we need the help the most. So when did the family find out that you really needed help? Oh, well, see, that's the thing. I didn't have, I don't have a big family. So so that's what it really boils down to. I didn't have um, a big group. And then I felt like the the friends that I had, you like you said, you feel like, well, I don't want to be a burden on them. You know, I don't want to burden my, you know, but like you said, you never know. They might have information they possibly can help you. Mm-hmm. Um I, my my close circle friends they found out at the you know at the time in real time um so essentially i kind of just made the decision that i was going to weigh it out and then i was going to save up my money so that i could go buy another property and i'll buy that property cash cuz somebody told me oh that that's what they did and then they bought it. i'm like oh okay i'm going to do that but i didn't do that because my money skills weren't what they are now so i am in theory i said oh yes that's a great idea i'm gonna do that but then actually putting it into action then i didn't and at the time i'm a single mother at the time myself because i had a child at 17 so i'm also navigating you know during my injury going through my injury trying to you know care for my child so so i do have a question for you as a single mom i was raised by a single mom Um, Shout out to mommy. She's the best. And she always, you know, she had times where she struggled. She was also an entrepreneur all my life. So some months were good in business, some months were bad. But she never really like let me know the numbers, right? Or the insight into what's really happening. But I could tell I'm not, I was a smart kid and I figured out some things. Do you think your child knew what was going on or had a sense of what was going on? At that time, no, because at that time, this was 12 years ago. My daughter is 21 now. So at that time, she was pretty young. So for me to explain it to her at that point, she probably wouldn't, you know, capture foreclosure. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like she can understand I don't have a lot of money. So she did it to her. I did. Because remember, I wasn't paying a mortgage because they weren't accepting my payment. So we were good from her standpoint. (laughs) I'm just being real. Like it's not funny, but it's look. funny. You're like, oh, I got money, but we about to lose our house. Oh man. I mean, it's it's the real. It's real life. 
Mm-hmm. So how did you bounce back from that? How did you, um, how were you able to so really get over having a foreclosure on your credit to being a real estate investor? Tell so me about what that. I, what I did was I filed bankruptcy. I moved from the house, obviously, and I got in, an apartment and I got just a small apartment, like one bedroom, um, gave my daughter the living room as her bedroom just as a way to save money. And to have a, you know, smaller monthly overhead. So I did that, filed bankruptcy, and I essentially started from scratch. I got secured credit cards, you know, um, started to work to build that good history back and build up my credit worthiness pretty much from scratch all over again. How many years did it take? The years that it took. So that was 2000. I'm going to say 2000, maybe. 12 or 13, wait, hold on, my daughter graduated 2019, so yes, it's probably 13, 14 is when I moved into the apartment, so to actually say that I repaired it, I'm going to say maybe, I'm going to say two to three years, but actually changed how I use money and the way that I use money, I'm going to say that it took about five years. Okay, so tell us what types of changes in your financial habits or even the decision to become a certified educational um, instructor. Like, what did you do to get to that point? What types of habits did you have to change first? So definitely bankruptcy requires you to start over. So you got the secure credit cards and you basically got a credit card that allows you to put money on it first. Correct. Spend it put more money on it, spend it, put more money on it. So for those who don't know, secure credit cards are prepaid in a sense because you're trying to establish um, trust with a bank. So in order to establish that trust, they give you a card that's plastic, but they also tell you you have to front the money to cover your purchases. And then as you spend the money, you can replace it and so, so forth until eventually that shows up as good credit history. And then from secured credit cards, you can transition later to unsecured credit cards, which are the credit cards you have where you're not prepaying, but you have a credit limit and you're able to spend up to that credit limit. And then you're hopefully paying off your balances in full. So what other things did you do to kind of change your habits? So like I said, I got two secured credit cards and I managed those and I kept my uh, the amount of money I used under 20%. So the whole time while I did that, I worked to build up money um, so that I would have an actual savings and I wouldn't have to be in this predicament again. Um, And I started to learn about money. So some people love this book. Some people hate it. But I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, But one of the big changes I made about money is the way that I use it. Instead of using money, like seeing it as, I'm going to say, a thing, like, oh, okay, I just you know, this is just something I use to buy what I want. I change the way that I use it, that it can be a tool. I change the way that I think about when I make purchases. Instead of purchasing things, I start to think more about experiences because as we just saw, I had to downsize from a house to an apartment. So obviously I had to get a, a rid of a whole bunch of things that I had just purchased 
and now I have to try to sell them or, you know, do something with them. So, and my daughter's transitioning from elementary school to high school. So her expenses, you know, and activities are increasing. So I had to think more about what's the best way for me to use my money that I have on hand. Um, I start to work actually learning about my retirement account, actually using more money to invest in it. At this point, I work for the federal government. At that point, I had been with the federal government probably seven to eight years. While I was investing in my retirement account, I wasn't an active participant in it. So I didn't actually go in and direct where the money was going. I just put it in there and left it there. So I started researching and, again, reading and learning how do you manage that money in there so I can help it grow. So just really becoming a better steward and taking control over my finances in a direction that I wanted them to go. And I became a resource for my friends. Like they like, okay, she pulled herself out the mud. She bought a house. Now how she still turn around and get, you know, more investments than I do. They're like, you got to tell us, you know, you have to tell us, how did you do this? What did you do? Okay. And then I just became like the resource. Okay. This is what we're doing. What do you think? Like, and that just let me know because you think that you're struggling alone, but you realize a lot of people, we didn't. Our families were struggling trying to survive. So they might not have had time to really teach us about money. They were just trying to keep food on the table, keep a roof over our head, make sure we were alive and enjoying our childhood. So maybe they didn't have time to teach us about money, you know? So I was, I figured I wasn't alone. That's what made me say, okay, I need to start something where I help other people learn this. Yeah, that's really good. And I I can really relate to that story because that's kind of how I just dropped into financial coaching is everyone kept asking me money questions because they saw that I had an interest in the topic and I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and other books. And then it became like, oh, you should take this publicly. You know, you should be on social media. So is was that the next step for you is, hey, everyone's asking me questions. Let me get certified. Let me level up so not yet because like they say on the airplane you have to put your mask on your own mask on first so I finished leveling myself up financially I went and completed my master's and uh, was able to get into a career from a job that I was in at the time and once I graduated with my master's in 2017 and I was finished with school then I started my business in 2017 Excellent. I love that. So are you currently a full-time entrepreneur? No, I actually still work with my nine to five as it's a part of my plan. <laughs> and um, I am an entrepreneur also. So I, I love it. I love it. I can relate to that also. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit more about your real estate investing career. What is it that you like to invest in and how did you get started? So as I said, I'm a I'm a fiver and a business owner, so I don't really have as much time to be very active in my real estate. So I buy and hold is mine, which basically means I'm a landlord. So when I buy real estate, I hold on to it. Um, so that's what I prefer. And then I get a property manager. So I essentially want to buy real estate and have it as more of a passive investment so that I can just, I, you know, I do the initial funding, you know, get it tenant ready if there's a repair, things like that. But essentially, I don't hear about the property for the most part. My property manager manages it. I just get a report every month. That's what I prefer. I don't think my emotions are good for flipping. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that. (laughs) 
I'm trying to work my way to get to maybe like a um a actual rehab because I buy move-in ready. So that's the next part. I want to get to like where I'll buy a rehab or maybe a fixer upper, but flip, I don't know if I have the I don't know if I could do it's it. It's not for everybody. That's what I say. And sometimes it's stressful and it's just a lot of moving parts. And buy and hold is an excellent strategy. It's a great way to build up doors slowly sometimes, but also um, help you to establish some steady passive income. Because if you are renting to longer term tenants, then you have an idea of what income is going to come from that property in a year. And you can really plan your now strategy or your exit strategy based on that revenue a lot easier than the possible returns from a flip that you, once you sell it, it's gone, right? So you're not going to keep making income. So that's, that's pretty dope. Um, so where are you currently investing? Uh, is it still in Chicago? Are you going outside of states where you live? So I actually didn't purchase in Chicago because um, the market was funny. A lot of the houses, you know, a lot of people were paying well over asking price in 220 when I purchased uh, my first investment property. And so I actually purchased in a suburb that's like three hours from Chicago. The market was nice. I literally drove down there, viewed like 20 properties based from I searched online um, and I liked it. So then I decided to invest there. I'm kind of playing hokey pokey with my finances. I pay off debt, I acquire a property. I pay off more debt, I acquire a property as a part of, like you said, my exit plan. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think that's a smart move. So do you have a team? Do you have a realtor you like to work with? Or are you always just searching online yourself? Uh, is a property manager the same for all your properties? Or do you pick based on the area? Like, how does that work? Right. So it depends on the area um, that I'm purchasing in. So it depends on what type of property. So if it's the suburb far away, then yes, I use the same property manager there. She's my realtor and property manager, but I'm actually gearing up to purchase a multi-unit now in Chicago. So I do have a, a, a broker that I work with, realtor, like that I work with regularly, especially now that I teach people how to prepare their finances for home ownership. Of course, now I have a plethora. new real estate friends um but for my multi-unit same thing i don't have a property manager yet i'm hoping to find one before i purchase it i don't want to manage it um but i have not gotten like a lot of great referrals for property managers in chicago Hmm, okay if anyone's a market right it's a market for it yeah so keep that in mind um how many units does the multi-family have no, I, I'm going to purchase it. It'll okay. be a three unit. So I okay, want to get a three okay. unit. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Do you, have you ever house hacked? Have you ever lived in any of the properties before you? No, I haven't. And so that's the other part that makes my story interesting. Where I live right now, I currently rent because I don't own in Chicago, but I live in Chicago. So that's another thing that I tell people. Personal finance is personal. So you have to do things based on your financial goals. When I buy the three unit, then I will live in that because it will be here in mm-hmm. Chicago. I like that. So future house hacker. My husband and I house hacked for most of the beginning of our marriage and we enjoyed the company, but also the rent. If you want to know more about that, listen to my story about house hacking. I'll make sure to include a link in the show notes. Um But yeah, so that's actually, you're kind of opposite of me. I learned after investing in Philadelphia and I live in Virginia. So that was an out-of-state property for me. I did that for two years and I was like, you know what? I don't like toilets and tenants. 
And so (laughs) I decided I didn't necessarily want to be a landlord or primarily a landlord. So now I do mostly commercial real estate and I have one rental left. Um, But I definitely know the value of buy and hold because the property we have that has no issues that we're holding on to is a no issue toilet and tenant kind of situation. And I can deal with it. But Philadelphia was a whole nother. I actually want to get into commercial. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great space. It's passive. You literally, you know, um, I collectively do it with other investors, so I'm not even taking on all of the responsibility. So it's just quite nice. And then you get to split the revenue. So um, what's next for you? Where's Perspectives going in 2023? Um, Perspective is going to partner with more organizations. Uh, I've been partnering with more organizations and meeting with different like nonprofits um, to possibly like my coaching will be done like under contract. So I'll be working to come out with master classes as far as what I will offer to my customers. And I'm just looking to broaden my impact and be able to reach more people and just looking to network and partner with others that I can do that. To be, honest. I love that. Very good. So keep us posted on what you do and how you doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question for you is a signature question. Because the name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money, I ask all my guests this question. What is your purpose for money? My purpose for money is to use it as a tool. Um, That's what my purpose for it is. I have where I want to go, and it's just one of the tools in my toolbox to help me get there. Okay, I like it. I like it, sis. And um, sorry, this is another one I just thought of because I do remember you're also a mom. So how is your 21-year-old daughter doing with money? Oh, she's not doing well. I started teaching her and I'm very passionate about personal finance. Like literally my friend's credit scores have increased just by being my friend. But you know how your child is, your child sometimes is rebellious and they're like, you want me to learn about money? Well, I refuse. But now that she's 21, she's like, Ooh, can you please teach me about money? okay you said wait when I you said I could do what right like that's where she's at now because she's real you know experiencing more life and she's realizing like oh man you was trying to help me and now she's there so you know we're kind of you know working through it so she can get it and understand it but I still appreciate that she's only 21 and learning it so okay that's good that's good Mm -hmm. did she pursue higher education Yes, she's so. Did she have to take on loans or work while she was a student? Now that's the one thing she did listen to. She's not going to take out any loans. Okay. Um, she's she's financing her way. What we're financing through her undergrad, and then the goal is for her to give and get like scholarships or you know funded through some other way if she um, pursues a higher education. I love it. I love it. So keep it up. Nia, this was awesome. I was so glad to have you on the Purpose of Money podcast and sharing your story. Before you leave, please tell my listeners, how can they find you? Where do they follow you? And what is your website if you have one? Oh, sure. Uh, My website is www.perspectiveschange.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Money Perspectives, TikTok and YouTube at Nia's Perspectives. So everything is perspectives, like honestly, because that's my goal to change money perspectives through financial education. 
I love it, guys. Make sure to check her out on all her platforms. I'll also include everything in the show notes. Also, don't forget to catch, get a copy of her book, Life is Short, by the house. And if you have any questions or want to continue to hang out with Nia, make sure you connect with her on social. Until next time, guys, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep creating freedom in your life today.